0: Role in the Christmas story. I do think that um, God is the main character in any story He's in, any story. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit—the three of them—are the main story in all the stories in the Bible. Sometimes they get crowded out of the Christmas story. Not so much of the Son but the others get crowded out of the Christmas story at times. The wise men, the shepherds, King Herod, Mary, Joseph, even a little bit later, Simeon and Anna, the star, the manger, they all seem to take center stage at times. They're they're what you see on the Christmas cards. They're what you see in the nativity scenes. And sometimes they move to the center of the stage. And so for the next few weeks, we want to put God back in the center of the stage for the Christmas story. All those people are just supporting actors and actresses, all those objects are just props in God's story. The main character is always God. Could the Christmas story have happened without the angels? Yes. Could the Christmas story have happened without the shepherds and the wise men? Of course. Could the Christmas story have happened without Mary and Joseph? Yes. God could have picked any faithful woman he wanted. It didn't have to be Mary. He could have picked a faithful woman named Sarah or Ruth or Elizabeth. He could have picked a faithful man named Timothy or Titus. He chose Mary, and he chose Joseph, but God's not limited by any of the characters. God's not limited by anything but himself. So he could have designed this story and used whoever he wanted. All the other people and props are important. I'm I'm not saying they're not important. They are important. And they're all minor characters. So it's my privilege to try to preach this morning, at least in part, on what was the Father's role in the Christmas story. So I'm going to ask you to turn to Galatians chapter 4, the passage Schuyler read just a minute ago, because I can't think of a better passage that helps summarize the Father's role in Christmas than Galatians 4. I'm not going to spend all of our time there. But when I started asking myself, church, what's the Father's primary role in the Christmas story? What does the New Testament say the Father's primary role in the Christmas story is? One theme emerged more than all the others. So while I'm not saying this is all the Father did in the Christmas story, I'm saying this, I think, is the major theme of the Father's role in the Christmas story. And Galatians four is as good a summary of that role as I could find in the New Testament. So let me read just briefly, verse four. What's the Father's role? Galatians 4:4. 4, 4. "But when the fullness of time had come, God sent. When the fullness of time had come, God sent." God sent. That makes me start asking questions that this passage actually answers, like what did he send? Who did he send? When did he send? How did he send? Why did he send? But Galatians 4 reminds us that God sent forth his Son. That is Christmas. That is Emmanuel. That is God with us because he sent forth his Son. God the Father is a sending God. Over and over in the Bible, he's a sending God. In the Old Testament, he sent prophets. In the New Testament, he sent out apostles. I mean, that's actually what the Greek word apostle means. They're sent ones. And when it came time for Christmas, he did what the Father does. He sins. Now, we're going to come back to Galatians 4 because that's where I want us to spend most of our time this morning. But I, I want to show you something. I think it's important enough for us to turn there for just a second. I, I, I started asking myself this week, preparing for this, how important was it to the Son that the Father sent? Was it important to Jesus that the father had this role, Jesus didn't come on his own, although he was totally willing and eager to do it, how important was it to the son that the father sent him? How often did Jesus speak about the father sending him? Was it just something he mentions once or twice in his three-year ministry, or was the father sending him something that Jesus came back to over and over and over again? <clears throat> let me let me just summarize um, how often he says it in John's gospel. You may not have caught this. Thirty-nine times in the gospel of John, Jesus explicitly, directly says, the Father sent me. The first time he says it is in chapter 3. Then he says it again in chapter 4. Then he says it, watch this, church, six times in chapter 5. The Father sent me. The Father sent the Son. The Father sent me. He mentions it five times in chapter 6, five times in chapter 7, five times in chapter 8, from the mouth of Jesus every time. He mentions it once in chapter 9, once in chapter 10, once in chapter 11, then twice in chapter 12, then once in chapters 13, 14, 15, and 16. Then he mentions it six times in chapter 17. The Father sent me. Hey, guys, don't forget this. The Father sent me. Then he mentions it again in chapter 20. Almost 40 times in 21 chapters, Jesus just drills down again and again and again. You guys better not forget this. The Father sent me. I want to just point out a couple of them to you. You're welcome to turn there or you can just listen to me. I want you to hear it from Jesus' mouth since we're talking about the role of the Father. Let me just read a couple of them to you in John chapter 5. John chapter 5, verse 22. Jesus says, For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. If Jesus is talking about judgment, somehow he works in the truth, that the Father sent him. The very next verse, chapter 24, verse 24, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my words and believes, him who sent me has eternal life. If Jesus is talking about eternal life, he mentions that the Father sent him. Same chapter, chapter 5, verse 30, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is true because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me if he's wanting to talk about whether he's going to obey his will or somebody else's will, he mentions, uh, the Father sent me. Verse 36, same chapter. But the testimony that I give is greater than that of John. The works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I'm doing bear witness that the Father has sent me. If he's going to talk about ministry and his miracles, he mentions that the Father sent him. And it it carries on in chapter 6. He's like, hey, nobody can come to me unless the Father draws him. But that's not the way he says it. He says, nobody can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. So whether he's talking about salvation or judgment or honor or his miracles, he slips in this truth every time. The Father sent me, the Father sent me, the Father sent me. If Jesus is preaching in the Gospel of John, He's including that the Father sent him. When you get to John chapter 17, Jesus isn't preaching in John chapter 17. He's praying. So I'm going to point out just a couple of those to you before we go back to Galatians. In John chapter 17, we call it Jesus' high priestly prayer. He's praying for the 12 disciples. He's praying for those who will come after him. In John chapter 17, look at verse 3. He starts out with this and this is eternal life that they know you the only true god and Jesus Christ whom you have sent verse 8 for i have given them the words that you gave me and they have received them and have come to know in truth that i came from you and they believe that you sent me it's it's all through john 17 Guys, if Jesus is preaching or Jesus is praying, it doesn't matter. He's talking about the fact that the Father sent him. Thirty-nine times. Did Did you ever have a teacher in school? I, I remember when I was in high school, we had a history teacher that was always good about giving us what was going to be on the test. And I remember one day in class, he was he was talking to us about American history. And he said, "Hey, listen." Um, there's going to come a time on Friday for your test that these three dates are going to be real important to you. It's like, am I making myself clear? These three dates, you're going to want to know on Friday. What happened on these dates and the dates are going to be really important to you. And I remember a kid sitting in front of me toward the end of class, he asked the guy sitting next to us, he said, hey, raise your hand and ask if we have to know any dates for the test. And he's like, I'm not going to do that. And he said, I'll buy you a drink at Sonic if you'll raise your hand and just say, do we have to memorize? And his response was, how big? And he said, about 44. And I saw his hand go up. I was like, this is, this is not going to be good. I mean, the teacher had done everything he could to make it clear to us. And the teacher calls on and says, hey, do we have to memorize any days for the test on Friday? And that look that I think they teach in, like, education classes that teachers can do, got, got that look. And I was like, oh, my gosh, this... That's what I think Jesus would look like if we're like, hey, Jesus, how important was it that the Father sent you? He'd be like, have you, have you read the Gospel of John? I talk about it on every page. Some pages I talk about it four or five times. Jesus, is it theologically important that the Father sent you? He'd be like, I guess you, I guess you don't read the Bible. It's all, it, it's all I talked about at times. If I mentioned the Father, I mentioned the fact that He sent me. Church, that I think is the primary role of the Father in the Christmas story. He's a sending God. So, if you would, back to Galatians chapter 4. What do we learn about the Father being a sending God? I think. The fact that he's ascending God is going to reveal something about the heart of the Father to us. I, I, Church, I think you could say the Father sent the wise men. I know you could say the Father sent the shepherds to the birth of Christ. But infinitely more important is the fact that the Father sent the Son. Why did he do that? Why did he send the Son? It's because it reveals something about the heart of the Father. So Galatians 4, let me me read what we started with, down through verse 7 again, so it's all fresh on our minds. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God sent the Spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, "Abba, Father!" So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Let me try to divide these verses up just for a few minutes this morning. Um, let me give you kind of four things to hang them on, and I'm going to take these in the order that they come in the passage. I want to talk about when God sent. I want to talk about who God sent. I want to talk about how God sent, and why God sent. So it's when, who, how, and why, because that's the order Paul takes them in in Galatians 4, and all of them are important. So just briefly, each one. First of all, when did God send, verse 4, when the fullness of time had come? What does that phrase mean, when the fullness of time had come? People have speculated, why did God the Father send that moment, that year, to send his son? Some have said maybe it's because Israel had finally abandoned idolatry. All through the Old Testament, Israel was just... They worshipped idols, idols, idols. And when God finally sent them away toward the end of the Old Testament into Babylonian captivity, when they came out of Babylonian captivity, they seemed to have been done with idols. And some historians have said maybe God said now's the time, the time has reached its fullness because the idols have been cleared out of Israel, and so now I'm going to send the Messiah because they're not packed full of idols anymore. Others have said maybe God thought now the time was full because the Greek language had spread all over that part of the known world, and so there was a common language that would help spread the gospel. Others have speculated maybe it's because Relatively speaking, you could travel more safely at this time than any other time in history because um, Roman law, Roman roads, Roman army, travel, relatively speaking, was safer than it had ever been. So getting the gospel out, common language, safer travel, idolatry was gone. Maybe that was part of it. We don't know. All we know is that God said, now, the fullness of time had come. It makes me wonder, why didn't the Father wait till now? Why isn't our lifetime when the fullness of time had come and he sent Jesus? If we were doing it, that might be when we would pick it. I mean, if it's common language and safety of travel so the gospel can spread, why wouldn't now be the fullness of time with mass communication and a connected world? If God had waited till now to do it, he literally could have broadcast live the crucifixion of Christ all around the world and broadcast live the resurrection of Christ all around the world. I mean, just put it all online as it happens, broadcast it, and people watch it. Why isn't now the fullness of time? Well, it's because God, God doesn't let a committee make this decision, He makes the decision. A sovereign Father decides now, not yesterday, not tomorrow not last year, not next year, now is the fullness of time. So let me just say on the when, God chose it exactly when he wanted. In the the illustration, we're going to go back and preach on it, but the illustration in chapter 4 of Galatians, verses 1, 2, and 3, it's an illustration about a minor child coming of age, and in verse 2, it says that the date set by the father is determined by the father. The father determines when the minor child becomes an adult. And then he says, just like that, God the Father picked the time, and it was in the fullness of time. He, he picks. Do you realize that after Adam and Eve sinned in Genesis 3, God announced that help would be coming? All the way back in the third chapter of the Bible, God said, you guys have blown it, but help's coming. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, God announced that the offspring of Eve someday would bruise the head of Satan. Helps coming. And then, guys, the years just roll by, and that that one who's going to crush Satan didn't come, and he didn't come, and he didn't come. Thousands of years roll by because God says it's not time yet. The fullness of time hasn't come. So the centuries just roll by. The promise still stands from Genesis 3, but the father's not doing it yet. And then finally, God looked to his son and said, now, now. And he had a totally eager and willing son who said, yes, father, now. But God had planned this all the way back before the creation of the world. God knew he was going to have to send his son. It makes me realize that during creation, when God was creating this world, this earth, he knew as he created it, this is the spot. This is the dirt that's going to hold the cross in place. This is the spot, and he created it anyway. This is the spot. Because I'm going to send my son one day when the fullness of time comes. Let me just remind you that the Bible also says there will come a time at the end, that he's going to send his son again. He got to decide the perfect time when he sent him the first time, and he will decide the perfect time when he sends him the second time. We get the privilege, church, of living between those two sendings. We're sandwiched between those two sendings. He has sent him the first time when the fullness of time arrived, and he will send him again. So when? Well, verse 4 says it's when God said, now. Second question who God sent. Verse 4, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. The when was when God said, the who was his son. Notice he was already his son when he sent him. He sent forth his son. He was already his son. That makes Christ the preexistent, eternal, not created son of God. He was already the son. That's what makes this sending so so sacrificial. He has to send his son, his only son, because nobody else's son can pull it off. He's got the only son that can do it. I, I remember thinking years ago what it would be like if a king or a prime minister or a president in our case When a leader of a country has to make a very difficult decision and go to war, that is, that is a tough decision for a president to make. We're going to declare war. Men will die. Moms will grieve. Wives will become widows. This is a very difficult decision. Sometimes it's the right decision, even though it's a tough decision. But what if any time our president decided to go to war, what if the Constitution of the United States declared that his son or daughter, if he declared war, had to be the first soldier on the battlefield? And if your son or daughter is not going to be the first soldier on the battlefield, you can't declare war, as long as your son or daughter is between 16 and 60, he or she literally has to be the first boots on the battlefield. Because then the president's deciding, do we storm the beaches of Normandy? Is is that what we're going to do? And he wrestles with it, and it keeps him up all night. And he finally decides yes. And then they say, but remember, Mr. President, the Constitution says your son has to be the first one off the boat. I mean, when that door lowers on the boat, your son is the first one on the beach. Now do you still think it's a good plan? Do you still think it's it's the right thing to do? Cuz if you do, let's get your son and get him on the boat. Cuz somebody's son has to be the first one. Somebody's son has to be the first one on the beach. And it has to be yours then everybody else's can be second, third and fourth. God knew exactly what this plan would cost. It has to be my son. My son's the one that has to leave heaven and go be treated like that. And he said, yeah, I do do think the plan's still worth it. I do think the plan's still right, even though it's going to cost me. You know, once in a great while, church, somebody will do some heroic act, some sacrificial act that brings you to the place that you never question their love for you again. Doesn't happen very often. If you had a neighbor run into your home while it's on fire and carry your daughter out wrapped in a wet blanket and your neighbor got second degree burns all over their body and all your daughter got was cold and wet because the wet blanket totally kept her safe and your neighbor now is just burned, you're done questioning your neighbor's love for your family. You'll never question it again. And I just remind you, do not question the father's love. What he did in sending his son should eliminate all questions about whether he loves us. If he's, not willing, I mean, if he's willing to not spare his own son, will he not also give us graciously all things we need? So when is when God decided the fullness of time. The who, he had to choose his own son, and he sent his own son forth. Number three... How God sent when God sent who God sent how God sent this is the end of verse 4 it's also important but when the fullness of time had come God sent forth his son born of a woman born under the law two very important phrases right there there they're what's called in the Greek a purpose clause it's God did this so that something else could happen this is the purpose. Put your coat on so that you don't get cold outside. There's a, there's a purpose to it. God puts this phrase together here about his son because he knows he has to get the details right. He has to get the details right about his son coming so that following these two phrases, the purpose clause will happen. If he doesn't come born of a woman and he doesn't come born under the law, the purpose clauses aren't going to happen. So the details are a big deal to God. They have to be a big deal to God. God sent his son. That makes him divine. That covers the divine nature. But he had to be born of woman. That covers his humanity. That gives him his human nature. Christ was the son of Mary, and he was the son of God, and both of those are crucial. Christ had to take on flesh. We celebrated at Christmas, but that's a mind-blowing thing when you think about it. Eternal, almighty God taking on flesh. But he had to take on flesh. He had to be a man in order to take man's penalty. You can't be a substitute for man unless you become man. But he also had to be God so that he could be perfect and sinless. Otherwise, his sacrifice wouldn't cover us. So he had to be man to take our penalty, but he had to be perfect to take our penalty perfectly. So that phrase that he came, born of woman, is huge. That's how God sent him. He'll he'll burst onto the stage as a man through his mother. But it also says he was born under the law. That's also another detail that God has to get right in order for Christmas to work. He had to understand the law. He had to obey the law. He had to fulfill the law. He had to come under the law. And then watch this. He had to succeed where every other man before him had failed. And every other man after him will fail. He had to obey God's perfect law perfectly 24-7 his whole life. And he succeeded where all of us have failed. He was born under the law. God's righteous demands. And he kept them perfectly. Only then could he die for our sins. If he didn't keep the law perfectly, then he would die for his own sins. How did God send born of woman, born under the law. Church, God's high demands demanded that God get the details right in sending his son. So the when is when God said the fullness of time came. The who in his sending was sending forth his son. The how was getting the details right, born of a woman, born under the law. Now he's set to do what he can do, which gets us to the final one, and probably the one that is most important to us. Why did God send? If God's role in the Christmas story was to send, send, send. Send wise men, yes. Send shepherds, yes. Send angels, yes. But send his son. Why did he do it? Well, that's what the next few verses talk about. Let me just remind you what he said. In the fullness of time, God sent forth his son. The details, born of a woman, born under the law, And because all of that was right, you get to those purpose clauses. He did it to redeem those who were under the law so that, the second purpose clause, we might receive adoption as sons. God did this. He sent so that verse 5 says we could be redeemed. He could buy us back. No Christmas, no redemption. No Christmas, no rescue. We needed redeemed. We needed bought back. We needed rescued from sin. We needed rescue from sin's consequences. We needed rescue from sin's power. We needed rescue from sin's penalty. And God had to look to the Son and say, I need to send you because there are people I love who need to be redeemed, and none of them get redeemed unless I send you. That's the purpose. I want to redeem these people. But he's not done when he just is is done redeeming us because at the end of verse 5, he says, I want to redeem them so that I can adopt them. I can't adopt them unless I redeem them. I can't redeem them unless I send you. But if I send you, I can redeem them from their sin, and then, because of the redemption bought at the cross, I can now adopt them into my family. I can only adopt redeemed people. Guys, you're not a part of God's plan. You're not a part of God's family. You have nothing to do with God's family until he redeems and adopts you. You're not a part of his family automatically. As a matter of fact, you're automatically not a part of his family. And me too. Till he adopts me. I don't belong in his family on my own. I get in on the holiness of Christ, I get in on because he redeemed me. So he sent so he could redeem so that he could adopt. I want to be adopted. I need to be adopted. That's why God sent, according to Galatians 4. It, look at verse 6. I want to show you something here. Um, verse 6 says, because you're now sons because you're you're adopted god has sent by the way that's it's the exact same word in the original language that came from verse 4 god sent forth his son all of a sudden you get to verse 6 and god's doing it again he's sending again it's a double sending he sent the son yes now he's going to send again this time he's sending the spirit and and because your sons god has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts crying abba father verse 6 says because your sons god's going to send again and this time he's going to send his spirit so the father sent the son so that i could now watch this god the father sent the son so that i could have the position of adoption i could have the status of adoption i could have the privilege of adoption but there's a chance, even in our world, that a child could be adopted and then never really have a close relationship with his adopted father. I mean, that, that could happen. You could be adopted and have the privilege and status and position of being an adopted son and never truly experience a close relationship with your adopted dad. So God's like, that, I'm not done. I am adopting you. I sent my son so you could be adopted. Now I'm sending the Spirit, and through the Spirit, you're going to be able to cry, Abba, Father. You're going to know me as a Father because I'm sending you the Spirit. So he sent the Son so you could have the status of adoption, he sent the Spirit so you could have the experience of adoption. He is my Father. The Spirit comes and says, Listen, You're not going to be adopted and not feel like an adopted child. I'm going to make sure you know me as father. Yes, I'm creator. Yes, I'm judge. Yes, I'm God. Yes, I'm king of kings and lord of lords, but I'm also your dad. And the Spirit is going to help tie that together so that you personally experience what real adoption is like. So he sent the Son to adopt us. He sent the Spirit so that with the Spirit's help, we could cry, Abba, Father. It's a personal title that a young child would call his or her dad this makes it real this makes it personal this makes it close he's helping us experience what it means to be in the family of God guys the Christmas story is like one domino falls so that all these other dominoes can fall yes I have to send you so I can redeem them so that I can adopt them so that they can personally know me as father and cry out oh my dad that's what that baby in the manger means that's why God sent him and to be honest he's not even done there we'll finish look at verse 7 he's he's going to wrap this up so you're no longer a slave if you've been adopted but you're a son and if you're a son then you're an heir Through God. Verse 7 reminds us that we didn't just go from being slaves. Now watch this. We we were slaves. Slaves to sin. Slaves to this world. And God redeemed us, which meant we're no longer slaves. If you were a slave and you got redeemed, you got bought back off the auction block at a slave house, and somebody redeemed you, and they're like, "You're, you're free. Go. You're free. You're no longer a slave. Go. What if you were a slave, and somebody redeemed you, but didn't adopt you. So you went from being a slave to being a free orphan. It's better than being a slave. You got your freedom, but you don't have a family. You're just, you're just a free, isolated person out there on your own. You have, you have no belonging. You didn't get a seat at the table. Great big meal, sorry, we bought your freedom, but you can't come in our house. We just bought your freedom, now you're on your own. That's a free orphan. God's was like that's not what I'm into I'm into making slaves sons it's not enough just to free you he wants you in the doors wide open you now have a father I don't make slaves free orphans I make slaves sons that's the language of adoption I, I think on the very first Christmas God had adoption on his mind listen God was willing to sacrifice one son to get lots of sons he was willing, temporarily, to have some separation with one son so that permanently he could have closeness with lots of sons. What a price. A bunch of people that don't even deserve to be sons. We're a bunch of slaves. We're a bunch of rebels. And He's like, yeah, but I could make you sons. I could make you daughters. Is it going to be costly? Well, yeah, I've got to send. I'm ascending, God. I have to send my only son but it opens the door for you to be an adopted son. (laughs) And really, the end of verse 7, he's not even done there. So you're no longer a slave, but a son, and if you're a son, you're also an heir. Everything God has will be yours, all of it. You're not an adopted son that didn't get written into the will, like the real kids were in the will, but the adopted ones aren't. That's not the way God works. You're adopted in, and now you're an heir. Can, can i just say this because it, it it a lot of the preaching that goes on today i, I sent a text out last sunday for my really good friends that are pastors i, I just sent out a text i said hey, I'm i'm praying for you guys and praying that all four of you are preaching today in the pulpit because there's a lot of men preaching today that i wish weren't, <laughs> but i hope you four are because there's a lot of preaching today i don't like and part of it is this prosperity gospel where it's like if you'll come to christ you get all these blessings in this life that's what god does and that That's not biblical, but I just want to tell you if that's all you're wanting is the earthly blessings You're selling your inheritance short. I I want more than that I want to be an heir of all that God has not just for this 60 years. He gives me in this life I want all of his spiritual blessings. I want everything. He's got in heaven He's like it's if you're my son, and I adopt you. It's all yours if I own it. It's yours the estate's yours and the estate's yours you have to share it with me i mean we get it together because you're a son or daughter that means you're stuck as a brother or sister of mine too but we're heirs of god my father has it all he didn't have to give it to me now but he says you're, you're also an heir I'll, I'll trust that when the fullness of time comes he'll give me what he wants but i'm his heir Your father, if you're a Christian, is a sending God. I think that's his primary role in the Christmas story. He's about sending. And he wanted to send his son because it's the first domino that falls in all these things that leads to your adoption. You personally being able to call him Abba Father, him giving you everything as an heir that he believes you need and that he wants to give you, all of that is bound up in this little baby in the manger he is the main character his father is the main character and the spirit is the main character in the whole plan and if we stop short with wise men and stars and mangers and shepherds we miss it all important characters all minor supporting characters in the story the father's role in Christmas is to send when he sent who he sent how he sent, why he sent, he all did perfectly. And one day he'll send him again. By the way, just a reminder to those of us who are Christians, the last time in John's gospel, in John chapter 20, when Jesus mentions his 39th time of saying the Father sent me, what he says in John 20 is, Father, I'm sending them out just like you sent me. He's still ascending God. He's sending us out. We need to be salt and light in the world this Christmas. God, I'm sending them out just like you sent me. He is ascending God, and he's still sending us out. If you're here this morning and you've never been adopted, you've never been redeemed, you've you've never said, I want Christ, this Christmas is about God opening the door for that to be possible for you. If you are a believer, would you celebrate your father this morning? Um. I asked Larry if we could sing, um, to end our service, one of my favorite songs about the Father, how how deep the Father's love. and um, There's a line in there about um, him, him make, bringing sons to glory, which I, I think is a great line. I actually think the writer who wrote that could have backed it up even further and said, he doesn't just bring sons to glory, he brings slaves to glory. we got to back it up and say, I... Long before I was a son, I was just a slave, and he brings slaves to glory. So if we sing that song here in a minute, I want you to, st- to sing it thinking about Christmas. I always sing it thinking about the cross, but could we sing it this morning thinking about Christmas, that God sent, and the Father's love is so deep, that he had adoption on his mind. When he gave up one son, it was because he had adoption on his mind. That's why he sent. And if you don't know Christ this morning, would you catch me? I'll try to be the last one to leave the auditorium, catch Skyler, catch somebody else and just say, I would like to visit with somebody about getting adopted into God's family through what Christ did on the cross for me. Father, I thank you for the privilege, the immense privilege of getting to talk about the Father's role in Christmas this morning. I, I pray you're pleased with what I said. I pray that it is accurate. I, I couldn't really talk about anything else after reading through John this week and seeing how often your son mentioned your activity. your sending, sending, sending. He just kept hammering it home. I thank you that you sent, but I thank you that that wasn't the end of the plan. You sent so that you could adopt, and that you included me in that plan. I will be eternally grateful that you've included people that I love in that plan. They're adopted too. I thank you for that. I I thank you, God, that in this huge world, some of our closest relationships are in our church, and that's because we're family. And we're family because of Christmas. And what started at Christmas that ended at the cross in an empty tomb, and, and then even the sending of your spirit. You, you just kept sending and sending and sending till you made us sons. And we thank you for that this morning. In Christ's name, amen.